Well, happy birthday, everyone. Isn't that incredible? 36th birthday of our church. I was four years old when this church was planted, and uh, I've been a part of this church ever since, and I turned 40 at the end of last year. So it's just an incredible privilege. It either makes me a really weird, inbred person who's never been out in the world anywhere, or it makes me a person that's had a revelation of Jesus Christ and believes that church communion is important. You'll, you have to work that out for yourself. Hopefully you think the latter. Um, my earliest memory in this church was actually walking to Sunday school. Our second building as a church was the Seaford Community Centre. So if you go down to the beach at Seaford where the pier is, there's a community centre just in Seaford uh, there. And uh, that's where I spent most of my childhood going to church. Um, but for a period of time in that church, we used to have to walk up the road over the Seaford Railway line and to a little primary school and we'd have Sunday school up there and then we'd get walked back to church. Now, it doesn't seem like much now. It was probably 300 metres, 350 metre walk. But when I was five, that was a big walk and that was a big pain in the backside for a five-year-old to walk to Sunday school. And I learned in that a lesson there that it costs you to follow Jesus Got to walk a long way to get these Sunday school messages. There better be good snacks when we get there. So, uh, we're going to enjoy three weeks just looking at prayer as we start the year off. And um, when you hear the word prayer, it's important uh, not to switch off because if you've been a Christian for a while, the, the first uh, temptation is to, oh, I know about prayer. Oh, the Lord's Prayer. Yep, oh, prayer's important. Uh, it's important not to switch off. I really wrestled with what do we start the year with? And I really felt God say, to start the year with 21 days of prayer together as a church. So starting tomorrow, I'm inviting you to stop every day and pray, to stop every day and pray. You may already have a prayer rhythm that's daily, and that's great, and I hope that everyone can grow to that point. If you don't, the challenge is to pray for the next 21 days, and that'll finish us in four Sundays from today, or another three Sundays from today will be the 21st. Uh, day. So we're going to have a great year. It's fantastic. God has lots in store for us. Can anyone say amen? amen. Look at the person next to you and say amen. amen. God's got a lot for us this year and uh, it's no better way to start than focusing on prayer because that focuses us on God and what's important. And it's great to be back up here with you as well because it's been eight weeks since anyone has let me hold a microphone, which is a long time. Last year, I spoke 36 Sunday sermons out of the 50 Sundays that we had. Uh, it was my biggest year of preaching Sunday morning sermons, and uh, I got into a good rhythm, but then that stopped abruptly uh, with the Christmas festival, and it's been eight weeks since anyone's wanted to listen to me. My wife doesn't listen to me at home, so I've had to become a pastor so that someone will listen to me, so, but it's great to be here. We had three weeks down in Tasmania, which is a real, uh, real gift. Do we have any Tasmanians here? We have some Tasmanians traveling, Tasmanians, Tasmanians. Cindy, is that a hand? Put that hand up. You are a Tasmanian. You used to be. Now you're a jaded Victorian. Uh, <laughs> but it was a great time. And, um, you know, it was a really slow holiday. We had a little shack down on the beach, which was a real um, blessing through a, uh, one of Lee's friends, my father-in-law's friends. It was a real blessing. It was a really slow holiday. There was no TV. It was a little town of like 400 people, Swansea, out on the east coast there. There wasn't much to do. Cindy came and visited us, so that was nice. That was like the highlight of that week. Uh, Cindy and her daughter, Helena, we hung out with them. But uh, because it was so slow, I, I really wanted to make sure that we had time as our family to do a devotion or a prayer uh, time every morning. And so our morning routine was kind of slowly sleep in, get out of bed, slowly have breakfast. 
And then before we would go out to a playground or before we would jump into anything else, most mornings we were able to have a prayer time and a devotion time as a family. Now, if you've got small kids, and I've got four, ranging from 11 to 2, and Nova turns 2 next week, then, you know, you're fighting for that prayer time. You are fighting tooth and nail to get everyone sitting on a couch, everyone, my five-year-old boy, Jed, when he sits on a couch, it involves throwing pillows and kicking stuff and doing twists, and he's very physical. Uh, So to get everyone to sit there and listen to a Bible passage or read a scripture is a great, great challenge. Uh, But we tried to do it. We did it most mornings. We did it most mornings. And the reason that I really wanted to do that, and I wanted to fight for that, is because I want my children to grow up and realize that the most important thing that you can do every day is to create space to talk to God. And there's no better time when you're a parent like me with a young family than on holidays, when you've got a little bit of space, you're not rushing out the door to school, to actually take that time rather than just going to the next thing or going to the next entertainment thing or just giving all your kids a phone to watch YouTube, to actually fight for that space. And it is a fight. Because sometimes, guess what? Not even daddy wants to wake up and open the scriptures and pray. And guess what? My two-year-old has no interest and my five-year-old doesn't have much interest and my older girls are, you know, they're getting there a little bit. But I want to give you a little secret if you've got young kids or grandkids, how to make a devotion time work. Read the scriptures, do the prayers, and then do a Q&A at the end. And if the kids answer the questions right, they get chocolate or lollies. <laughs> That is the secret to doing devotions with kids. Yes, there's a little bit of carrot and stick there, there's a little bit of manipulation there, but you've got to do what you've got to do to teach these kids to pray, amen? So a little bit of chocolate and Q&A at the end, and guess what? All of a sudden, they're listening to the devotion. They're listening to the Bible readings. And we worked through the book of Luke, and I've tried to work through that with my older girls over this um, holidays, and uh, it was a really, really great time. Last week, I shared with you too, just to continue on our little theme of prayer about Wendy Tarr, who uh, a great member of our church here who passed away. We had a funeral last weekend. And if you're at church last week, I shared a bit about her. But uh, amongst a bunch of things I said, I really just highlighted the fact that she had, had an incredible passion to pray and left a real legacy uh, of prayer behind. And uh, I, I said last week, and I still feel the same, I almost feel like this prayer series the next few weeks is just really in honor of her and the incredible prayer warrior that she was. Uh, a couple of months, uh, well, now I realize it was a couple of months before she passed away. So at the end of last year, she came and she was at the doctor across the road here, and she came and saw me quickly in my office just to say hello. And, and uh, she had an oxygen uh, going into her nose, and uh, she was really sick, barely able to move. She had someone helping her uh, to even come in and have a little chat to me. But she sat in my office uh, and I could tell, you could see that she was on, on death's door. You know, she was weak, her voice was very soft, uh, she was really struggling. But all she wanted to talk to me about was Jesus. All she wanted to do was read Bible scriptures. All she wanted to do was chat about God. That's why she came to see me, and we prayed together, and it was beautiful. And she had that little glint in her eyes. I don't know if you've ever been around a person that's passing away and a person that has great faith, because Wendy had great faith. She didn't want to talk about death. She wanted to talk about healing. She wanted to talk about living another 15 years. She wanted to talk about the future, not about death. But she had this glint in her eyes that she was close to the end. But not the glint that is, oh, she's going to die. She has no hope. It's all coming to an end. She's sad. No, it was a different kind of glint. It was a glint in her eyes that was like she was about to cross over. 
It was like she was beginning to touch heaven. She was just obsessed with talking about Jesus, chatting about God, discussing the Bible. And it was almost like she had already lifted her feet just a little bit off the ground and already started to ascend to heaven, but she was still kind of on the earth. And it was all over her if you spoke to her in those last few weeks there. It was like an anointing of God that she was almost passing through the clouds, but she was still kind of here. And that's a great example of what it is to pray. You know, the Jews believe that the temple in Jerusalem is the place where heaven and earth met, that the cloud of God would come down from heaven and his presence would fill the holy, holies, holy of holies, which was the room in the center of the temple. But then people, humanity would come to the temple to pray and that that was the spot where heaven and earth came together. Now for Christians who live in the New Testament, that for us is Jesus Christ. The meeting of heaven and earth is Jesus Christ and the cross and he broke the veil that stopped us from touching God and getting to heaven and he caused a breakthrough when he died and rose again. And every time we come to the place of prayer and sit with God and pray with him, like Wendy in her last days, we have that opportunity to just pass through the clouds, so to speak, and to be in that place where heaven touches earth because of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about prayer because it's life-changing. It's transformative. This is what it has the power to do. Richard Foster says, today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence and he is inviting you and me to come home, to come home to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. And he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. Prayer is an invitation welcoming you home to God. Prayer is a core practice, an essential practice of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's how we follow Jesus. It's how we grow to become like Jesus. It's one of the key ways that we do that is through prayer. Prayer is not something that you have to do. Prayer is something that God says, want to do it. Come into my presence. Prayer is not meant to be a chore. Prayer is a love affair where you fall in love with God again and again and again. And God's, this, this quote that I just read out to you really got me because God aches for this. He doesn't make us pray. He doesn't command us to pray or he'll withhold his affection. He'll withhold his blessing. He doesn't manipulate us to pray. You know what he does? He sits like a good father and he just waits and he aches and he hopes and he wishes that we would come home 
come home from this distant land of rushing and shoving and pushing and everything's up and to the right and performing and making money and buying and fighting and holding on to bitterness and all the stuff that we do as humans, God's heart just aches and says, come home, sit with me for five minutes, take a breath, let me heal you, let me grow you, let me transform you. That's what life-changing prayer is. There is a way to pray that can change your life. Maybe you're sitting there this morning going, but I've tried that, Pastor Caleb, and it doesn't work. I've prayed and I didn't get an answer. I gave it a go this time when I was in my early 30s. I really focused on prayer, but like, Maybe you pray a bit, but your prayers, they don't seem to go anywhere. Maybe you've tried prayer and you've just kind of given up on it. Maybe you pray every day. But you pray because you should pray. And if I'm a good Christian, I should pray. And it's just kind of dry and it's not really going anywhere. Or maybe you have a fantastic, healthy, overflowing prayer life. And I'm so happy for you. The rest of us will just struggle on trying to find God in the place of prayer. Prayer is a practice. It's meant to be a struggle. It's you, every day you pray, you don't accomplish something. You practice something. You don't get somewhere, you keep on the road to going somewhere. Prayer is a practice, something that requires daily practice and will continue until the day you pass away like Wendy and you begin to cross over to that place. And guess what? In that day, just like Wendy, all of you will be the same as her. You won't be thinking about your pay packet. You won't be thinking about that person who doesn't like you. You're not going to be worrying about any of those things when you come to the end. You will want to pray at that moment. Because you'll see the face of Jesus, you'll know the end is near, and you'll just be obsessed with wanting to cross over and be in unison and in love and near your loving Father once and for all. But God offers you, you that every day to come home and be with Him in prayer. The most simple way and the most common way to pray in the Bible is short, very ordinary, everyone say ordinary, very ordinary prayers. The Bible's full of prayers. Most of them are simple prayers. They're ordinary prayers. They're very short prayers. And guess what? They're prayers full with no fancy words, a lot of emotion, a lot of random stuff, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, a lot of criticism, a lot of humanity. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. It's praying simple prayers, the most common prayer that you will find in the Bible. And my favorite out of all these most common prayers is this one. It's in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector, a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Oh God, be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner. 
This is my favorite, simple, ordinary, straight to the point prayer in the Bible at the moment. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. So righteous, right in the eyes of God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. To pray, everyone, to go into the place of prayer is to be a willing beginner. To be willing to pray short, simple prayers that really get to the heart of the matter. Simple prayers are honest prayers. Prayers full of emotion. Sometimes these prayers are even full of a lot of self. They're not really about God. They're not really about his will or his kingdom. They're not really about others. They're just about me. But they're simple. They just get a lot of motion out. They get a lot of thoughts on the table. They just come to God in a basic way, in an ordinary way, in a human way. But the thing, the key, the power to them is they open up that conversation. They open up the dialogue that God desperately wants to have with you. So many of us get caught in a monologue way of praying. We, we just throw things at God or we just assume God's talking, but we never hear it. But God aches to have a dialogue with us, to go backwards and to go forwards. A simple prayer kind of breaks that open with an initial one sentence, just, oh, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Just crack something open that you can begin to talk with him. You see, the Pharisee was widely respected, a teacher of the law, one of the most devoted, intense followers of God in all of the Bible. This person had a reputation in the community that was a great reputation. This person had money and then gave that money away, was generous. Don't think Pharisee and think, oh, bad person. No, these were the most intense and devoted and passionate and zealous Christians, if you like, of their day. But on the inside, something always comes out when we pray. And the, and the prayer of the Pharisee reveals the heart of the Pharisee. What comes out is judgment of others. What comes out is comparison of me and myself, my church and that church, the way we worship and the way they worship, this person, that person, that hurt, that pain. What comes out is comparison and judgment as he begins to pray. But you see, he doesn't see that. He doesn't understand that. There's not self-awareness there. There's no listening to God that's pointing out, hey, there's some judgmental prayers going on there. What comes out of his heart is this posture, this haughty look on his face, this posture of pride, this standing in the open so everyone can see that he's such a great prayer. Fancy words, long sentences, And Jesus says, this is not what God looks at and says, righteousness. Says, you're standing in the right way before me. No, this is self-righteousness. This is praying all your evidence to God so that God can see all your good things and then say, yeah, you're great. But Jesus said, there's a new way to pray. There's a new approach to your Father in heaven. Just simple prayers, honest prayers. Prayers that are the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see, the tax collector was very different. His reputation was not great in the community. He was nobody special. He was actually known for his corruption. He was despised, as it says in the scriptures here. He didn't pray just in the corner because he was trying to be humble. He prayed in the corner because he didn't want anyone to see him. 
He didn't want anyone to kick him out of the church because he was known to be a horrible person, someone that would rip other people off, rip them off of their money. But when he opens up his heart to pray, when his insides spill out in the place of prayer, it's a very different story than what people assume on the outside. He cries out with a simple, not fancy prayer. He won't even look to, his posture is so different, he won't even look to heaven. He turns his eyes to the ground, he gets down on his knees, he grovels in the dirt. And the power in this simple prayer is the recognition that I am a sinner. It's the cry, be merciful to me, God, because I don't get it right. A healthy prayer life can reveal so much to you about your own heart. One of the main reasons I find as a pastor that people don't pray or don't pray properly or don't pray regularly is they don't want to see what's really in their heart. We don't want to really know what's in there. Because if we know what's in there, then we're going to have to change. We're going to have to forgive. We're going to have to repent. We're going to have to grow up. We're going to have to let go of some of our possessions and our money and our striving. We know what God will ask of us if we really open up our heart. We don't really want to pay the price. So therefore, prayer is not really something we want to do. And therefore, prayer, even if we do it, is something we do very shallow because we don't really want to go deep. And therefore, the shallowness eventually can't hold and we just don't really pray anymore. Jesus says, this man went home righteous. What is God looking for? Righteousness is rightness before God. God's looking for honesty. God's looking for recognition of our sin, our selfishness before him. God's looking for us to humble ourselves in the place of prayer. And when we open up our mouth and pray and say words, God is not looking for much. It's simple prayers that move God's heart and it's simple prayers that change our life. It's the most common way of praying in the Bible. Look at the faith of the Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15 where she comes to Jesus who's sitting at the table eating with a whole bunch of important people. She's not even a Jew. She's a Gentile. She shouldn't even be in the room. Her prayer is three words. She says, Lord, help me. And Jesus, rightly so, says, look, lady, I haven't come for the Gentiles yet. Like, you guys get in later once I've died on the cross. I've come for the Jews. I've come for my own people. I'm sorry. Not here to do miracles outside of the family at the moment. This is going to become about Gentiles, but at the moment it's about Jews. That's what I'm doing here. And she says, but Lord, even, even scraps fall to dogs. Even crumbs fall off the table. And Jesus is astonished at her faith. Lord, help me. It's full of faith full of I know the heart of God. Sometimes prayer, simple prayer, is easy to pray, three words, but it requires petition, requires repetition. You know, one of the greatest ways that you can pray is just to get a simple sentence and to pray it over and over and over, just to meditate on it, to mull on it, to chew on it. And I'm gonna give you a little three-sentence prayer today that we're gonna pray at the end with, with communion. The Lord's Prayer. A simple prayer, one that we all know. We usually quote the Matthew version, but if you look at the Luke version, it's even shorter. It's only a couple of sentences. The Shema. The Shema is the most famous Jewish prayer. The Shema is the prayer that the Jews still pray to this day. Tiny, 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 tiny. Goes like this, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's it. That is the core 
most famous, most powerful, packed full of theology prayer that you could pray. The Shema, because the first word is Shema. It's hear. Hear, O Israel. It's listen. Say this tiny little simple prayer, but listen, Israel. Listen to your God. Listen to what God is saying. The Lord is our God. When the Lord there, notice it's in capitals because that's Yahweh, like we sang in the last song there. So the Bible doesn't say Yahweh. It says Lord in little capital letters. If you've ever wondered, why is, why is the Lord sometimes in small caps? It's because the Hebrew word underneath that is Yahweh. The Jews wouldn't even call God by his name. And if they wrote the word Yahweh, they wouldn't use uh, any of the vowels. So it was spelt, or in English it's spelt Y-W, is that right? Y-H-Y-W, thank you. Y-H, no, Y-W-Y-H, yes, Y-W-Y-H. You can tell it's not in my notes. Yahweh, they don't even use the vowels. They wouldn't even say the word out aloud because of the honour. The Lord our God, that means that the Jewish God, that means that our God, that means that the God that was revealed to us in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, that is our God. It's not the pantheon of Greek or Roman gods, Jupiter and Zeus and all of that. It's not the God of these people or this tribe or that nation. It's not the Aussie God. And for us as modern people, it's not the God of money or the God of work or the God of kindness or the God of politics or whatever. No, the Lord is our God. There's one God and he is alone. He's on his own. There's no other gods before him. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, 6 kind of remixes the Shema for us in the New Testament and he inserts Jesus there. He says, but for us there is one God, the Father, whom, by whom all things were created for whom we live. And every Jew is nodding their head. Yep, that's basically the Shema. That's the prayer we pray every morning. That's the prayer we pray 